0: hello 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 everybody i'm very very excited for this conversation of course it's career conversations with Sueli i have the incredible shemaine huvere she is the senior director Africa Cisco she's the chair of the ICT industry association of the South African communications forum she's the chair of the policy and law reform work stream of the presidential for IR commission under South African president Cyril Ramaphosa she's one of South Africa's top women in ICT and she's won that award she's won the MTN Minister- ministerial recognition award she's the founder of Afriel a nonprofit organization that mentors coaches and sponsors young female leaders in the ICT sector and she's also the co-founder of the mentorship circle with the african women chartered accountants association she is someone who literally walks the talk i remember when i started Bumi and verb she was the very first senior leader i ever had come and speak to us and she changed lives so she doesn't just say oh i believe in women empowerment she lives it and she breathes it ladies and gents Charmaine! yay <laughs> i'm so excited that she agreed to this conversation but I want our, leaders to, um, our listeners to get to know you a little bit so I'm going to do a quick rapid fire intro are you ready I'm ready thanks
1: for I'm ready okay beach or bush oh beach I actually just come back from the beach really yes I had a little trip to the beach so I'm all refreshed and I'm ready
0: awesome Android or Apple and I know you're in ICT so this is very controversial
1: <laughs> you know I, I used both for a very, very long time, and then my family moved over to Apple, and then I had no choice other than to follow, but now follow. I'm a huge fan of the brand. Tea or coffee? Oh, tea. Tea. There's nothing I think is comforting and as warming as a nice cup of green tea, or, of course, our own South African rooibos tea. Rooibos. Uh, morning or night? Morning. You know, I'm one of these people who's normally asleep by like eight o'clock and then I wake up fresh as a daisy at 2 a.m. Um okay. and I'm ready like to start my day.
0: Okay. You you're like me. I'm also more of a morning person. <laughs> Sudan or SUV?
1: Oh, SUV. I think especially with the family and everything. When I was growing up, I always had these visions and dreams of driving around Johannesburg or when I go home to KZN in the top-down sedan. But I think that very quickly came to an end when you realize just how impractical it is when you've got like a thousand people that you're always traveling with.
0: And you always climb onto things with an SUV if there's no parking. That's what I like about
1: it. <laughs> exactly. A exactly. <laughs> Kindle or a good old-fashioned book? Oh, I think I've always loved, in fact, I've got a library stacked with books from top to bottom. Um, And actually, I've read each and every one of them, surprisingly. I've read each and every one of those books throughout my entire library. But I find that as age is sitting on in me now, I need a Kindle so I can enlarge in the words. And I've got Ah. them on my Kindle. And also because I wake up at 2, 3 a.m., I need the Kindle by my bedside so that I can put it on dark settings and I can read until everyone else starts to stay in the home okay okay uh wine or beer oh wine I love my wine although again I think with age I'm slowly starting to move across to bubbles so I'm not averse to the odd glass of wine when I go out for dinner awesome flats or heels oh flats all the time like i'm back to back to back to back to back in meetings but i do carry my heels in the bag when i have to go for meetings that require heels but um, even now because of lockdown i'm easy into sneakers so i'm now more of a sneakers girl
0: I'm, i've become a full-on um, slippers girl all the <laughs> time <laughs>
1: uh, seven colors on a sunday or bright Oh, I'm a Seven Colours girl. I grew up in KZN and um, it's actually a rite of passage to start cooking from as mm. early as 10, 11 years old. And actually just the other day down in KZN, I had um, our mutual friend, Cindy Koyan- Koyana yeah. and the family over and Miss Nunun Chingila, Shingila, a few other friends. And I did like a full on like curry stews. Yes. Like and, and like, I am actually a very, very good cook as well. I cook oh, really people meal, don't
0: and know we're both from KZN and you know we've got some of the highest populations of Indians outside of India so our curries are spicy and delicious oh, they are like
1: legendary, <laughs> legendary. <laughs>
0: so it is dinner you can invite anyone dead or alive who is coming and what are you cooking
1: <gasps> so I would like collapse if um, the late um, Dr. Mandela Dr. Nelson Mandela mm-hmm. came to dinner with me. Um, he's one of the few presidents of South Africa that I did not have an opportunity to converse with and meet one-on-one actually in a mm. space. And I recently had the pleasure of being invited by Ms. Putin to the Nelson Mandela Foundation. And we were quite, um, I think, fortunate enough for the CEO uh, mr Sello to take us through to some of the archives and looking at some of the things and i cried so much that day just thinking of how much he lost how much he gave up how much he gained um you know how much wisdom and how much just humility he led with and so i would definitely sit with him i'm a champion at cooking umosh so cook yeah oh you know, that was one it of his favorites well that's sam Yum, yum, yum. I am um, like, I make some of the best samp when I actually um, had a meal. I had some moosh cooked by his chef who is now at the Mandela Sanctuary and it was yummy. So I also mm. cook a very mean samp and beans as well. Yummy. Okay. And I think
0: with this way, that's a bit nippy. So that would be delicious. <laughs> so I've spoken about, you know, your accolades. And if I think if I ran through all of them, we'd be here the whole day. But who are you? How would you define yourself? Oh,
1: that's a big question. I think first and foremost, I think one of the things about me is that I am a dreamer. So I'm always dreaming up things. And I think whenever I dream up things, I've realized that some of them dreaming about what I want, um, which sometimes can be my biggest Achilles heel. I'm always thinking about, you know, if only I could do that for that group of people, if only... I could write about this so that I could open the eyes of the communities. If only I could invest back more in my community, if only I could take on more mentees, if only I could coach more and sponsor more and mentor more. So I'm always thinking about how to develop the next generation. So for me, that's very important. I think secondly, um, I am, I think, very centered on spirituality. I'm very spiritual. So I think I'm always thinking about um, what have I done and how can I actually be a better person, if I'm a better person, would that influence others around me to be better? Um, I think something that keeps me awake at night often is how do I ensure that my family and especially my children are contributing members of society? How do I ensure that they are not burdensome, that they don't add to the ills of society? And how how do I ensure that I'm a better person so they can see from my light? So one of the things I'm always trying my best to be I'm always trying to be forgiving. I'm always trying to be that light. You know, I think Jesus Christ said it so lightly. He said, I am the light of the world. And I'm always wondering if he was the light, what did he do to be that light? So I am, you know, always trying to be a better version of myself. Um, I'm very proud to be a mom. Um, You know, although I haven't always been the mom that I've often seen. I don't drop children off at school. I don't pick up children at school. I'm not involved in school activities. I never, ever have been, and I have no intention of ever being. Um, But I always try to ensure that my learnings and my lessons in life in the household are passed on because I don't rely on school. I don't rely on communities. I don't rely on anyone else to raise my kids with those values. I am very purposeful driven. So I'm always trying to find out what is my purpose on life? Who am I authentically? If I had to have my locks down earth and I'm closing my eyes, I would ask myself, what did I leave behind? What was that legacy? People think of me, what do they think of when they think of Charmaine Houve? Or even when somebody says, do you know Charmaine Houve? I often wonder, what would people say about me? And I think, again, that stems from my childhood, having been raised in such deep poverty, that we always worry about what, what does community say? What, what do people say about our family? What do people think of us? And I think that's something that has followed me for a very long time around what legacy am I leaving behind? So in essence, I think, you know, I'm I'm a deep thinker. I am a dreamer. I am a hopeless romantic. I'm, I'm always thinking that, you know, love is going to solve everything. So I'm such a hopeless romantic. I love... Um, romantic movies. I love watching a story where I know it's going to be turn to turn out to be something good and something positive. So, in essence, I think I am. I'm hopeful. I'm always positive that things are going to work out for the best.
0: It's interesting you bring up, you know, where you come from. So, growing up in poverty in KZN to now sitting in spaces where you're advising presidents. Tell us about your career journey. How
1: did that come about? Oh my goodness, it was actually by default. It was not planned at all. Um, mm. I was raised by a grandmother. My grandmother actually came from the trans guy. So she was raised in Umtata. She could neither read nor write, um, for me. My grandmother, the one thing that she was always quite clear about is that you are going to go to school. And I I went to a government school, but I was very fortunate as well. Um, during the eighties, I, I attended a school in the colored community of Newlands East. Mm. And again, had our best interests at heart. There was lots of gangsterism and drugs and crime and boycotting during my time. But the teachers always tried to bring us back on track, even though they participated in a lot of the boycotts and encouragement for a better education um, for um, the community. I think one of the things my grandmother was always clear around is that you will go to school and you're going to get this education, even though it's a substandard education, it's going to take you somewhere. Um, she was also very strict. She was a disciplinarian. She was a matriarch in the home because we didn't have a grandfather growing up. Um, and she pushed me to go to school. And when I finished my trick. I had no choice but to go out and start searching for work. I was quite fortunate that that point in time, the local post office um, in West Street was oh, actually wow. hiring. And so I started my journey there at the post office. And I think one of the things, and at that point in time, Rumi, again, I didn't know a lot of what I know now. I didn't know that there was a person called a mentor or a person called a sponsor or a coach. But I was very fortunate to have bumped across a lot of these individuals in my career growing up, who influenced largely where I am today. I had people who often reminded me that you are not your circumstances. You are not who you are. At that point in time, it was quite a bit of pull for me to swallow because I thought, I deserve to be treated differently because of where I came from. I need more attention. I need somebody to invest in me. I need focus. Um, I want to go on the EEAA training. And, and 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 back then, a lot of my leaders would say, no, you need to go in with the mainstream. Go where everybody else is going. You need to toughen up. You need to grow up. You need to understand that you're going to be competing with people who don't look like you and who don't sound like you. And my first job, I was the only person of color. And I was mm. actually such an enigma to most people. People would come and touch my hair and say, "Oh, your hair is very different. We haven't ever met anybody with your type of hair. Why is your skin tone mm. different? Than we normally used to in our homes, in our kitchens, in our cleaners. Um, how do you get your mm. hair this? How do you get your hair this color? And for a sixteen-year-old, you can imagine, for me, that was very overwhelming. Mm. And I think. Quite embarrassing as well to have to, you know, come into this work environment that was predominantly white. But at the same time, I must be honest, I came across some amazing role models who I'm still in touch with today, almost 35 years later, who were quite invested in my journey. And and so throughout these mentors and coaches, I found my way into the ICT space. Um, and still it's 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 not a very welcoming space, but I think. With the five or six or seven people that you do bump across um you do find those rare leaders who are invested um in ensuring that you know you do make a career of where you are landed
0: mm. yeah what an interesting career so what would you say has been your you know i always say your, your careers are like this they' their mountains and their valleys what has been like the biggest valley? where like for me this was the pits at the time it was the worst thing that ever happened to me in my career and what would you say has been the biggest mountain peak moment where you like for me I was soaring like this was a big highlight
1: for me and what were the lessons from both oh so very interesting I reached a peak in my career actually I picked at a very young age I was very young again because I was so tenacious and again you know I think I I, I'm somewhat smart. I I, I think I, I am quite smart. No, you're very smart. You're advising the president. You're very smart. <laughs> I, I think, and at school as well, I was quite diligent. I was a like top award student, I was prefect, I was all these things. And I carried that through with me. And I think, again, from my past, growing up in a very critical environment and growing up in a street smart environment. Also, I have street smart. So growing up in an environment with gangsterism, rape, crime, prostitution, drugs, we were always cautioned of don't walk alone. Watch how you walk. Watch who you speak to. Watch this. Watch that. I was fortunate in that that sort of ground training didn't make me cynical and it didn't turn me into anyone bitter. Instead, it often asked me, well, I've been, I come from, a real hard-knock life. So how do I take these to ensure that I don't transfer those skills? Oh, I don't come across as hard. I don't come across as bitter. How do I ensure that I understand? I seek to understand and I'm also understood. So when I came into my career, I picked very early on in life. I studied for an MBA. I was quite diligent. And When I came into different spaces, I think also I became a magnet for many others to want to understand how did you do it? How did you pick so young? How did you get people to invest in you in and to actually take a bet on you? But that also resulted in early burnout. So, I got to a stage in my 30s when I was utterly and completely burnt out. By the time I reached 40, um, I actually started to feel that it was amazing. Imposter syndrome came to me at my 40s. I never had it during my early ages. Imposter syndrome came to me much later in life where I started to get the doubt when I started chairing boards, when I started to actually lead multi billion dollar projects and, and I hear this voice of opportunities oh, girl from the barracks. You come from Wentworth. You didn't have parents. Your grandmother raised you as a baby and you were raised on a social grant. Who are you to sit at this table and advise anybody? So I mm-hmm. I had full-on imposter um, syndrome that came to me. Um, I started to experience what Renee Brené Brown talks about around on uh, my leadership, and I started to think, I've got to protect myself. I've got to get out of here. I can't do this. And I think fortunately also at that point in time, um, I had a mentor in advocate, Omar Rasataba, who's now at the NPA, um, and she was the one who actually said to me, you know, Mrs. H, I think you've reached – a peak time when maybe it's not a bad idea to step back maybe step back and think about what's next for Mrs. H and I think that was the best mm-hmm. advice I could have gotten I stepped out of a massive career I was soaring I was like on the literal horizon to be the next CEO of, of, of a listed organization and I just stepped out and I said no it's not for me and I left without any job I didn't have any other means or, or, or any other career aspirations. Well. I stepped away and I walked away. And even when I left the industry, I had calls like 24-7. I heard, I'm i hearing you leaving. Can you come join us? Can you come with us? Can you come with us? And I was just like, I need to heal. And it was the best decision I could have taken. I traveled India for a few months. I lived in ashrams. Um, I, was, I went full on vegan for a number of years. I just went to seek for who am I authentically? what does it mean to be? What is the purpose of life? If if I'm looking at a true purpose, who am I and why did I come? When, when when there was a call for souls to enter into a body, I chose this body, I chose this life, I chose the circumstances. And I started to ask the question of gurus, of Sufis, um, of Buddhists, of the different Taltec leaders. Why did I come here? Why am I here? And that was the best thing I could have done, I ran off to go and visit my mom-in-law in the Philippines. I lived on the beach as a beach bum for a couple of months. Until so I got a call that said, look, we need help in government. Um, do you want to come through? And I think that was the call that got me back grounded again. And I think it leads into my peak. It was one of the toughest roles that I've ever experienced in my life. I think I've got so much sympathy for people who raise their hands to go and work in government and who come into an environment that's volatile that's complex that's uncertain um and that's very ambiguous and I don't think anything trained me or anything prepared me not my childhood not any gangster that chased me down not anything I could have ever remembered prepared me for working in a government environment It was scary mm. fragile it was you know it, it, but it also trained me to be such a different person I mm. I I to the boards, to the how I was, I was then working for Mr. Freeman Nomvalu, who I reported to until he left, and then he went off to Saika, and I reported into Dr. Mohapi, who was a former colleague at Talcom, who came to join me there. I had some of the most magnificent colleagues who I worked to, to start to bring together the entity, and, but at the same time, you know, I think whew, there were elements of threats, of danger, of bullying, and, and I think that also got me to tap into a soul of don't forget why you are here. Now I would have messages um, taped onto my car, warning, oh, my. Me, you know, but, and, and then again, I think that's what got me to leave. And then my husband said to you, you know what, it's just not worth it. Why do you want to put a camera and to see who's posting these things on the car? You know, just leave, just mm-hmm. go back and again. That got me, interestingly enough, it was the peak um, that got me to become somebody different. That got me to become more compassionate. That got me to become more decent. That got me to become more understanding of the journey that those who are truly invested in public sector, in government, why they do what they do. It also got me to understand the darker side of a career and how not to lean into that side and, and how to also ensure that I, I remain um, invested in who I am as, as, you know, my being. So I think even leaving there got me to also reconsider and to become a mom again. I think it was quite late already. My kids were already grown. They were already quite mature. They were already on their own paths. But I think it got me again to become, it got me to take a step back and understand and realize that I'm more than a career. And that's how I actually birthed Afriel. So that's where Afriel actually came from. It was my time again um, of taking a deep breath and reflecting and stepping out of the corporate space as a whole.
0: You know, that's, I think that's one of the things I find myself now um, challenged with, is uh, what is the grandest, highest expression and vision for myself? Who am I? And it's one of the hardest things to do, and to be able to take that time out to reflect on why am I here? What is my purpose? Yeah, that's something that really resonates with me. I'm that's praying and that- meditating on this a lot. So yeah, that wasn't. And
1: again, it was something, it wasn't an answer that I got on my own. Again, as I say, I traveled. I traveled to Egypt, I traveled to Israel, I traveled to India, I traveled to Amsterdam, and I even, you know, went on a very rare journey. Um, you know, just again, you know, seeking um, is this possible? I went on smudging journeys. I went on so many different things. And again, the answer didn't just come from me alone. I had a team of experts that helped me um understand. You know, wh- why am I here authentically? And, and and again, I think even the Bible says, the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. So seek all of those things and then everything else comes to you. And I finally got mm. to the comfort that once I seek who I am, everything else is going to come my way. And I think that for me, Vumi, was just that point of assurance that I am on purpose. I I'm I'm in the right path.
0: You say you had people supporting you. So in your career, you mentioned, you know, you've had mentors. You believe in mentorship and sponsorship because it's clearly something you experienced that changed. Do you currently have people who are like part of your career advisory board? And even retrospectively, so people who may have been members of your career advisory, what was the best piece of advice
1: they've ever given you? It was a very tough piece of advice. Um, There were many different things. There were so many things. I've got so many people that guide and advise me. I've got a huge group of friends from, you know, Nusipo Mulope to Trifosa Romano um, up to Cindy Koyana. Um, you know, I have Irene Shandley, who's absolutely phenomenal. Ms. Shamla Chetty from Duke Corporate Education. So many phenomenal leaders in my life. But the best piece of advice i got was from a mentor that I worked and reported to, Advocate Omar Rasataba, where at that time I thought, oh, This is the cruelest, toughest woman I've ever come across. But she sat me down at one stage when I was actually vying for a group executive post, which was then in a massive company of over 60,000 people. There were 25 of us. And she said to me, you know, Mrs. H, the one thing I want to guide you around, don't become one of these leaders who has to come late to a meeting because you've got to drop off kids at school and pick up kids at school or because, you know, you've got to rush to go home and prepare something or because things are falling apart because you've got me- somebody waiting to do something at home. And she said, what you need to do is when you negotiate for a salary or you negotiate for anything, take into account a team of people that you need to surround yourself with. So many sure. Have somebody who takes kids and drops them off at school. Make sure that you have somebody who comes and works with kids to make sure that homework is done and make sure that your home is so well run that when you are called to a meeting at seven or eight at night, you are not stressing and panicking and you're not half hearted about this relationship at work. Um, So she said, Make sure that your family is so well taken care of that you put yourself into your work environment and you achieve whatever goals and whatever objectives that you think you need to achieve. The second piece of advice that she gave me was, don't leave the corporate advice with the corporate world, world or environment before you've really left. So often you have people in the work environment who say, oh, I've just got one more year before I retire, I can't wait for that day. Or people say, oh, I'm so actively searching for a new role, and their heads are not really there, the heart is not really there in whatever they are doing, so they actually tend to frustrate the whole environment. So you pick up that somebody is here, but they're not really here, or somebody's here, but... You know, you're often waiting for somebody to join a meeting because, oh no, I've got to do these five other things before I do this. And she said to me, just make sure that this is a massive role that you're signing up for. So make sure that you are really invested in this. And the day you decide to leave, leave on that day. Don't leave a year or two down the line and you're planning for your departure while you're inconveniencing everybody else. And at that point in time, I thought, what horrid, tough advice. But I think over time I took it and it proved to be something that I could embrace. Um, And it got me to also ensure that I did a lot of what I was happy with. So I think that helped me a great deal, but I also am spoiled. I think I say spoiled and I'm blessed in a sense that often when I'm at a crossroads, I've got an ecosystem of people that I can tap into. There's no one that I cannot access. I mean, even from Judge Mervyn King, I would call him and Mm. say Judge King. I'm at a crossroads, you know. Michael Juden from the King Commission. I need you to come and speak to a group of youngsters. Come and can you come and have coffee? You know, there's so many people. Mm-hmm. I black book, I think, that has taken many years. It's taken a lot of sacrifice. It's taken a lot of leaning in to pull together. Um, but it's one that I'm proud of. You know, from you know even Minister Stella Devaney Abrams when she was in the ICT environment. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I would often tap into her when I was you know not clear what I needed to do, Deputy Minister Pinky Kekani, the current minister, Minister Kombutso, all people who, you know, are there to guide and nudge on, you know, and say, here's what I think, here's how I think you should take these different aspects of life. And I think that, for me, has been so rich and rewarding. Um, I love that you've got books. Like a library of, of humans. Like my
0: grandfather used to tease me about reading books that I'd always want to read a book as opposed to speak to humans. And he was like, for I me, mean, sometimes human beings are libraries, eh? The yes. Kind of they can teach you. So I love I that you library of humans.
1: Even my kids. My kids lean in so heavily. If they find me practicing a podcast or they find me, you know, on a call when I get off, they've got a long list of critiques to give me that, oh, mum, you were actually <laughs> like – quite hard in that point oh mom you were so laborious like we didn't even understand what you were saying oh mom you're speaking too fast like in that I don't think that many of the people who are on the call even understood what you were saying so even my kids lean Mm -hmm. in and they also my critiques and they my mentors and they also coach me around certain things so I think that for me is quite rewarding actually I love that
0: um talking about libraries and I know you've got a you've written like a lot of books but this is going to be a tough question what are your top five reads and why
1: Yeah, that's a tough one. So I think, actually, what I'm reading right now, by the way, actually something I'm reading, and it's a one-year read, Vumi, and I'm on it for the third year now. It's taken me three years to read, is a book called A Course in Miracles. And what this basically teaches you, it's taken me three years to read, and not because it's a difficult read. It's just because the practices within it are just so I think, soul rendering, because it's got advice in it that says, I only know the past. I don't know anything else but the past. And that's so true, because every time I reach an encounter, and that's why I think we we find things so, um, I think, huge to try and enter, because every time you enter a conversation, the first thing you think of is, I remember this. This happened to me in the past. I'm not going to let it happen again. So one of the guidance it gives you is you only know the past. And something else it says is, you know, um, my only purpose on this earth is salvation, I'm here for salvation. I'm here for forgiveness. I'm here for nothing else but salvation. So that book is something that's on my bedside. I read it first thing at, in the morning, in the afternoon, at night, and I'm obsessed with the course in miracles. Um, the second book is very linked to the first. Actually, um, it's a book by Jan Levansan called Forgiveness, and it's something that I did during lockdown. and It's twenty one days to forgive absolutely everybody. Twenty one days to forgive yourself. Twenty one days to forgive God. 21 days to forgive men, to forgive women, um, 21 days to forgive absolutely anyone you can think of, your brothers, your sisters. Because again, I think one of the things I've realized is that so many of us walk around with thoughts of such injustice. We walk around with thoughts of such attack that um, we're always ready to attack because we've been attacked. And um, we just find that there's so little forgiveness. That we so We find it so difficult just to say, Oh, well, okay, so so so-and-so did what they did to me, and that's fine. I'll move on in life. So that was a very hard, I think, read for me, and also difficult exercise to have to write letters to various people over the 21 days, but I found it absolutely rewarding. So Jan Levansant is a favorite author of mine, and I think it's very rewarding to finally get to a a point where you... Without anyone having to say they are sorry, you can still move on and forgive. I think the
0: third one I for mean, me. Now you want me, I want to read that one because I, I love her. One day my soul just opened up. That one just. Oh,
1: yeah. Me. So she, she's very powerful in terms of mm. making you reflect. A third mm. one for me is also linked to the other two. Um, it's a very quick, easy, flat read. It's by Deepak Chopra and it's called, um, you know, Why God Laughed or Why, why is God Laughing? And I think it's so apt because it's very appropriate and it actually just tells the tale of somebody who went through life and realized who was very famous and they woke up one day and they decided i don't want to do this anymore that's not who i want to be who am i authentically and they go searching for their true self and their soul and when they find it nobody recognizes them anymore so they move into spaces where people would stand up and say oh mr president mrs president are you here and people would say sorry you're not allowed in the space anymore you you're not welcome here who are you we don't know you we don't recognize you mm-hmm. Simply because." Goes- soul had taken over and there was such light that the ego, so the ego, which I think many authors say is about edging God out, the ego was removed. So in removing the ego, they suddenly realized that they could be the authentic self. So the book is called Why is God Laughing? And it's an absolutely phenomenal read. Um, my next book that I absolutely love, love, love um, is a book um by Marion Williamson, and it's called A Return to Love. And it's based on a course in miracles. It's based, on of course, in miracles, So it's yeah. absolutely amazing. And all she says is that from everything you do, do it from a point in love. Um, and all we really need, and again, it's the Beatles song, all you need is love. She says mm. every transaction, every interaction, everything that you do, let it start from love. Um, and she also talks at length, again, about, you know, how do you ensure that when you look at somebody, you see yourself. So I see myself in you, Vumi, you see yourself in me. And therefore, I'm much more able to identify with your journey because. I see um, that whatever my brother goes through, I'm going through as well. And I love, there's a prayer there that she actually opens with where she actually says, you know, "Um, Lord, I leave this day in your hands. Um, And she says, the fruit of my labor and the desires of my heart. And she talks about today, I pray for my brothers. And in brothers, it means I pray for everyone. I pray for my brothers first, and then I pray for myself. May we be blessed. And I think something important that she says is, may our minds be healed. And maybe return to love. Um, how do we return from pain? Um, you know, and, and how do we actually return from hell to heaven? How do we actually return from fear to love? And she praised that prayer. And I think that for me was so enriching. And I think a final favorite for me, because I've read every one of his books, is Paulo Coelho, um, The Alchemist. And I think what I love about it That's is, you, you know, you do everything and you come right back to where you started. So you search and you search and you search and you search and you search. And, you search and in the end, you think, Actually, what I was looking for has been inside all along. What I'm looking for is actually I'm looking for me.
0: It's with him, I find I find his books so difficult to choose one. So I love manuscripts found in Accra. I love a warrior of lights and of course The Alchemist. I yes. feel like he he goes into a God state when he writes. It's like he speaks to right. souls when he writes
1: correct and again I think it's a lot of stuff I can identify with he suffered you know very deeply with depression he was um you know hospitalized by his family because really yes they just couldn't understand what was wrong with him he from a very young age um you know he tried to commit suicide there was so much that he went through because his family wanted him to be something that he was not and they just couldn't understand understand why do you want to be spiritual why do you why what are you seeking for um you know and I think for me there are so many parallels and so many areas that I can identify with because humanity or you know humans always tell us no oh, but you've got to aspire you have to be the next CEO you have to be the next president and all he wanted to know was who am I who am I mm. and that's all his journeys and his searches were about who is Paulo Coelho um, and I think that's why his reading resonates with me so much
0: you've been able to travel quite a bit in, in pursuit of answering that question. And I'm sure there's spaces that you walk into where it's easy to recalibrate and find that answer very quickly. So what is your favorite place in the world
1: where that happens for you? Um, I think for me, wherever there's a beach, um, because I think I love sitting on the sea sand and looking at the expansiveness and and, and looking at the, I think, how magnificent creation is and thinking to myself, if creation is this flawless and so magnificent, then surely if I'm an extension of God, I must be as well. So I know one of the spaces that is always healing for me is to go back to the Philippines because that's where I first found myself. Um, so often when I think I need to find myself, I always rush off to the beach and I come back so much more empowered. But I think any place where my family is, and in fact, I was telling the kids yesterday that, hey guys, I'm starting to travel again. So You know, I'm back to traveling. I'm going to be traveling to Africa. I'm traveling to Silicon Valley often. I travel to Europe, Europe, Middle East, Africa, Russia. And the kids were saying, well, well, not now, Russia anymore. Um, But the kids were saying, you know, mom, we know you don't like traveling if we're not there. So we know that the only places that you really like a lot are where we are. And they're quite right. Mm -hmm. I think wherever, wherever my family is, is where my favorite place has become now. I think especially with lockdown, I didn't realize just how much of an introvert, I enjoyed becoming. So I really and truly love that sense of just being wherever my family is.
0: I love that. So in our closing, I'm going to ask you to complete the sentences. I am a master at.
1: I am a master at negotiation and bringing calm to situations.
0: What I know for
1: sure is what I know for sure is that, regardless of where we at and what happens, life goes on. My life's
0: work is
1: my life's work. My life's work is um, shining light and bringing healing into spaces. Knowing what I know now, I knowing what I know now, I will. I'm actually much more forgiving, and I think I'm much more compassionate and understanding. Um, thinking about where people come from, where I come from, um, and how much we have to contend with in life, I think I'm much more compassionate, I'm much more forgiving now than I used to be. I am. I am on purpose. If there's one thing that I do know is that I am largely on purpose. And on the odd times where I fall out of purpose, the universe is very swift at smacking me and getting me right back again on track.
0: Can I think of a better way to end our conversation? Lady C, thank you so, so much. I appreciate you making the time and I'm sure our listeners thoroughly enjoyed it as much as I did.
1: Thank you very much, Umi, and thank you for all the listeners for actually tuning in. Have a good long weekend. Awesome. Guys, thank you so, so much for listening. I
0: hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did and make sure to tune into the next uh, installment of Con- Career Conversations with Bomi Mussoili.